Good morning. I am your host, Philip Coover, and this is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast, and we're going to bring on real estate professionals, finance professionals, and attorneys to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, helpful descriptions of common legal and business issues, and entertaining discussions. This podcast is a mixture of real estate business and the law. So I'd like, since this is the first episode, I'd like to take a few minutes just to tell you a little bit about what it is that you're listening to. This is going to be a real estate centric podcast. Uh, We're going to focus on Chicago area and Chicago real estate professionals and what's going on in the community. And I'd like you to think of it as a little bit like virtual networking. Essentially, I'm a big fan of both podcasts and networking, and I, and I got to be a big proponent of networking when I stopped trying to force networking. I think when you get out of, when you get first start your career, you want to set up all the networking meetings that you can and get all the business cards that you can and try to build your network and your Rolodex of names, but I think that I really started to appreciate and enjoy networking when I started just to relax and stop trying to get anything out of the conversation and just try to learn and sit down and have a conversation with someone who's working on something interesting that they're passionate about. And so essentially, that's what this real estate podcast is going to be. And then fast forward a couple years, I started realizing that I had all these friends in different areas of my life that I had friends from that I grew up with, friends from college, uh, friends from my connections here in Chicago, and a lot of them were real estate professionals, and that's what our firm focuses on. I'm an attorney with Shank Annis Tepper Campbell. I'm a principal with that firm. I'm also uh, hold a managing broker's real estate license, and so I started realizing that I had all these friends. It would be great if I could just get them together. So we started this breakfast networking group called the I Eat Commercial Real Estate for Breakfast Networking Group. And we just had the best discussions where we'd get together for some terrible coffee and even worse omelets, and we would just have a discussion about what everyone was working on. And so I took that as well as my love of podcasts, and I said to myself, why don't we just have these people that I know come on and talk about what they're working on in Chicago and let everyone listen in on it because I find that when you sit down and you just have a conversation with someone who's working on something that they're passionate about, uh, you're always going to learn something from them about you're you're either going to take some of their knowledge or take something about their approach or how they go about things in their life that you can apply to your life and your career. So what this is going to be is we're going to have real estate professionals come on to talk about um, either it might be a very experienced real estate professional who will talk a little about their career and how they got to where they are. It might be a big name in the industry. Or it might be someone who's just starting out and how they're trying to uh, stake their claim in Chicago real estate. Our interview for today I'm very excited about is Michelle Panovich of Mid-America Asset Management Inc. And you'll find that she's one of the uh, biggest names in Chicago real estate. And just on a personal note, she's also one of the smartest, savviest people I've ever met. 
And I think that you'll really enjoy her discussion about redeveloping shopping centers in the Chicagoland area. Everybody is very focused on flipping houses these days and HGTV, I know I am. But Michelle, what's great is she takes million square foot shopping centers and she completely renovates and uh, redevelops them. And it's amazing to learn about her process. And then I also, you'll also hear on that podcast is Andy Annis, and he is the president of our firm, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell. And he's one of my mentors and he just is a, is a fascinating person and extremely knowledgeable about commercial real estate. He has over 30 years experience in the industry. And I bring him up because we were going to have him talk about commercial real estate finance as a lead-in to Michelle's discussion and Michelle's interview. But what we decided to do is that uh, he's going to talk about the difference between a gross lease and a net lease and how the analysis of those leases can affect the valuation of commercial real estate properties and sort of launch into this long conversation about commercial real estate finance and how uh, the leases and how their structure can affect the valuation of properties. But what we learned is that that's actually a pretty long discussion. So we're going to save that discussion with Andy for a future episode and just have that be its own standalone episode. But you will hear Andy on the podcast, and he is uh, it's a three-person interview. And then you can look forward to his discussion later as a future episode. Well, before we begin, we should say that if your listeners are particularly interested in a certain topic, I want you to feel free to get in touch with us by contacting us at solutionscenter at satcltd.com or by visiting our website, realestatebreakfast.com, which should be up and running very soon. We should also take this opportunity to explain who produces the podcast. It is produced by SATC Solutions Center, L3C, which is the Education and Development Division of the law firm Shank Annis Tepper Campbell, LTD. We are extremely excited about the podcast and what it's going to mean in terms of how we can all grow and learn together with this exchange of information and ideas. So before we get into the interview, just like to give a general disclaimer, it's not legal advice, and that while we are exchanging thoughts and ideas on legal and business topics, you should always seek out independent legal counsel to review and analyze any particular issue that you have. Also, my opinions and the opinions of any speakers on this show are their own and not to be construed as the official position of Shank Annis Tepper Campbell. Without further ado, we'll have the interview with Michelle Panovich. Today I have uh, two featured guests. One is Andy Annis. He's our managing partner here at Shank Annis Tepper Campbell. And he has over 30 years of experience in commercial real estate working on all sorts of issues. And then we also have our, our primary guest, Michelle Panovich of Mid-America Asset Management and Mid-America Real Estate. Michelle is one of the senior partners with uh, primary responsibility as one of the operating partners of Mid-America Asset Management. She has over 30 years of real estate construction, development, and management experience. The last 29 years concentrated in retail and the shopping center industry. 
Michelle is responsible for development services, client coordination, construction management, receivership services, property management, and accounting for all the properties managed by MidAmerica. She has successfully provided the management and redevelopment of several major properties, such as the streets of Woodfield and Schaumburg, and Brickyard Mall in Chicago, as well as Ford City Mall, and uh, the redevelopment going on in LaGrange, Illinois. And that's what we're gonna talk with her primarily about today. Michelle's earlier tenure was with Erie Development from 1988 through 1990 as Vice President of Management. She was responsible for the management and revitalization of distressed shopping centers. Prior to that, Michelle held a position in the Equity Properties Construction Management Division and was responsible for the redevelopment of major properties, most notably the redevelopment going on at Ford City Mall years ago. And I think, Michelle, that's where I'd like to start today. As I was thinking as I prepared for this podcast about uh, redevelopment and the concept of redevelopment, and you see on HGTV these days, you see Fixer Upper and Fixer Flop, and you have all these people going into uh, distressed homes and redeveloping and revitalizing just homes, but you actually do this on a, a much larger scale with shopping centers. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the Ford City Mall years ago? It's sure. It's interesting because sometimes they come back around again. So right. that's what's been really interesting about Ford City is I worked on it as you inferred when I was with um, Equity Development. And, you know, when we did that, we thought we remodeled at State of Art. So. When the new owner, um, iStar Financial, uh, took the property back from Equity, we uh, got a call again a couple years after they had already taken it back and they asked could we come out and meet with them. And I remember driving up to the property and thinking, wow, has anybody done anything since we were here last? <laughs> and walking inside, you know, it was clear. No nothing had done been done in over 30 years and so it was wow you know it was interesting a little disheartening but interesting and it to to see all of that you know the flooring the lighting the paint uh, that we had done that seemed state-of-the-art and then looked so out of place at that point in time so yeah, it's, it's been interesting. That, that must be distressing. It must be like if you built a home for yourself, and then you moved away and you come back 20, 30 years later, and you find out the, the current owners haven't taken care of the property and all the things that you built. Well, what's interesting to me is one thing that jumped out is you said that the current ownership contacted you, and that's sort of, I was wondering how do you, how does this redevelopment process happen? Does does a certain owner or institutional investor have an appetite to, are they looking for distressed properties that they can revitalize and do they contact you? Just how does the process start? Well, first of all, this particular owner came about this property in what I fondly call as the loan to own program where, you know, they were a willing participant in placing a loan on this property years and years ago. But as, as the market evolved and as, frankly, no one probably paid the attention they should have to this asset and, um, you know, it was losing sales volume, et cetera, the opportunity to, to have it 
add more, have more value didn't really happen. So eventually the, the owner at the time, Equity, felt like they, they could refinance, they weren't interested in owning it anymore. And frankly, they made a deal to give the keys back. And, you know, this is, iStar's a little bit different of a lender. They're a lender owner, so they own properties as well. Mm. So their their thought process when they take it back is much different than a traditional bank or a traditional um, mortgage lender. They want instead to try to figure out a way to create value. So they don't want to take it back and just sell it at a discounted rate. So. You know, they went through a process of working with a few other companies in town and um, basically through their business connections and them asking their business connections who they would be talking to, they eventually found us and we connected. Frankly, it was through a client we had um, who was close friends with one of the people at iStar and she said well here's the company that does retail this is what they do they're specialists you should talk to them and that's how iStar and MidAmerica connected so it, it's not more magical than that yeah well it, it's really interesting so when iStar contacts you do they say Michelle you've worked on this property before we know you've done retail can you develop a a general idea, a broad picture scheme of what we're going to do for this property, or, and then you start move shift from there to the smaller details. They didn't actually know I had worked on it before when okay. they contacted us. They just had been told that we were the retail experts in the Chicago market. So Dick and I spent some time meeting with them, talking about that, and in the conversation. I brought up that I had worked on it before. So that was a surprise to them. And <laughs> that must frankly, have been a great meeting. kind of a bonus for both of both them and frankly for me. I love the fact that I can be involved in the revitalization. And it's interesting because we're sitting in meetings now on the construction side since we're going to be starting that work in January. And someone will bring up some quirky thing, you know, issue they found with electrical or heating or something like that. And I'll go, oh yeah, and then wow. recall what the, what the issues were. So, so it's a bonus to- Do you still have your notes ownership. from the first time around? I don't have my notes, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, so they didn't know that. That wasn't the compelling reason for for making the its selection, it was because they heard we were the real estate, real estate retail real estate experts. So that's the real reason. Michelle, coming out of the recession and finding that there are a lot of properties theoretically in this same state, are you finding that the owners, especially the institutional owners, are becoming a little bit more imaginative about dealing with these assets and taking an approach like they are with the Ford City Mall and saying, we have to do something once we take this asset back along these lines? Or are you driving this imagination from the development perspective or redevelopment perspective? Well, we can bring forward ideas and thoughts about value and about what value can be if you're patient. but. Really, the decision has to be ownership because it's not without cost. 
of time mm -hmm. and money, and of course time equates to money as well. But in answer to your question, Andy, it depends on who the owner is. If it's, you know, with so many CMBS loans out there, that influenced a lot of it because those were loans that were controlled by an assigned partner, so to speak. So a mm -hmm. CW or C3 or another um, um, person who is responsible for making sure the loan is being taken care of. But that those people aren't going to make those kinds of decisions. Those people might do one or two deals to create a little bit of value and then sell it. But those, those groups are typically, those services are, servicers are typically going to sell the properties. But when you have an owner who's either owned it for a long time, because we could talk about that in context of another development, or someone like an iStar who's owner and a lender at the same time, they think about their real estate a little bit differently. So they're thinking, does it make sense to just sell it now or at, in the state it's in? Or is there a good way and a good use of additional capital that would create more capital and value in the end? So, you know, it really, I think probably there are more groups that just sell it and fewer that stay the course and redevelop. So, Staying the course and redeveloping the property certainly has some tremendous value and benefits to the community. Has that been the case with Ford City thus far? Yeah, Ford City has been interesting. One of the first things that we determined was that they were not marketing and I'm, I'm calling marketing down to who is shopping here to the right demographic. They weren't marketing to their demographic. You know, the area that, that where Ford City is located is a largely Hispanic area. And mm -hmm. they were not marketing to their own shopper. They had lost that shopper. They had lo lost the opportunity to bring in those families who have disposable income and who would like to see the mall as a place of entertainment and a way to satisfy right. their needs for shopping and, you know, food, um, you know, restaurants, those types of things. They That had not been a focus for years. So their own shopper was no longer coming to this location. So that was one of the first things we discovered. And when we changed the marketing program, despite the fact that we hadn't done one physical thing inside other than clean up day-to-day -day services and things like that, our sales started increasing immediately. Wow. So, you know, you, you need, if you have an asset of that size, that's a million two square feet with a lot of value, you have to pay attention to every detail of that. And that, no one had done that for years. So that was, I want to call it an easy fix. It wasn't that easy, but, you know, because you have to gain the um, trust and 
you have to get a lot of information out there quickly to right. your uh, shopper to to get them to come back. So we had to have we staged a lot of family events. We, you know, spend a lot of money on marketing to get that shopper back. So. That's fascinating. One of the things, speaking of uh, focusing on the shoppers and your customers, is I noticed something you don't see every day is that Ford City is actually rebuilding the CTA bus terminal. And I thought that that was a really smart way to just, let's just focus on actually getting these customers to our shopping center, making that a better service, an easier way to get there. Yeah, the bus... The bus is always stopped there, but we there was never any organization to it. So, huge number of bus riders there daily. Many of them employees, some of them shoppers, and many of them transfer points. So we met with the CTA two years <laughs> back and yeah. forth, and we reached an agreement to do a terminal. And I have to say, you know, it, it, any government body is a little difficult to deal with, but, um, and we had our rough patches, but honestly, at the end of finding an agreement of where it would be, how it would be built, we had a lot of cooperation from them. They provided some of the bus shelters, they provided some of them markings they they did a lot of different things to help the project along so um, you know I feel like it was a real good partnership and that we do have um, a much improved service for CTA and our, our shoppers and employees of those retailers at this point. Yeah, it sounds like a real win-win. I mean, I read an article uh, that says that there was several thousand riders a day just coming through there. So if you can catch some of that business, I mean, it's great for the riders, it's great for the city, it's great for the mall. That, that made a lot of sense. I thought that was really smart. I was So you're, you're starting construction this year, and then... Are you already in the process of trying to attract tenants for post-construction? And how does that process work? Do you have to coordinate with the brokerage team? Yeah, actually, it is, it's, it's a good process and it's very detailed process because there are tenants active and open there now. The first thing that we did was we tackled um, you know, extending and redoing the anchor tenant leases. That's very important. Yeah. So, Obviously, we were able to work out something with Carson's, and they remodeled their uh, store. And um, J.C. Penney and J.C. Penney did an amazing job of uh, redoing their store and adding a Sephora store, which brought in a huge amount of increased sales to Penney's. So that has been a really good partnership with those two. So that was the good start. At the same time, we had a lot of valued. Um, national tenants there and I'll just pick a chain that ha was one that we really have a good relationship with and that really loved being at Fort City and that's Victoria's Secret mm -hmm. so with Victoria's Secret you get all of their limited brand stores so we were able to you know our leasing team worked hard to put together a deal to 
have them relocate within the shopping center, do an expanded Victoria's Secret and Peak store, do a brand new um, bath and body and add um, the white candles. So that was a real good start. We've secured um, a very high name brand um, mid box, which I am not allowed to talk about, but we have a signed lease with them. And when we have our private conversations with additional retailers, we're able to, you know, quietly tell them about that deal. And that is spurring the redevelopment with newer retailers. Um, all of those other national and regional tenants that have done so well at uh, Ford City, we're redoing those deals as well. So the trick is understanding who's there in these very old leases yep. and going back through those leases, who's got an exclusive, who, you know, are there other, are there no build areas? You know, all those things that, that, needed to be understood because we were at all parcels, all those types of things. So it it was a daunting job to start reading 75 leases. Absolutely. And, um, you know, old leases, some of which I had a hand in before and some which I didn't. So we, you know, we basically had to get in there and understand all of those. And that is the trick, I think, in redevelopment that, that a lot of people don't think about is, think you can just go in you know spruce up a property add a few new tenants but there's a whole host of other things that are already existing at the shopping center that you need to understand before you can do any of those things wow i mean it's just incredible the amount of coordination that's involved you're talking about working with an owner and uh either having discussions with an owner about what the the global redevelopment's going to be. You're talking about negotiating with the city and coordinating a bus terminal renovation. At the same time, you're working with existing tenants. You're changing the marketing schemes. Uh, you're, you have to just get get down elbow deep and look at these old leases. And then at the same time, you're trying to market to tenants to try to convince people to come to the shopping center post-development before it's even done and get them to agree to it post-development done. I mean, the amount of sheer amount of people and companies that you have to work with to uh, undertake these efforts is uh, it, it, it's amazing, really. One other thing with that too is you have to keep the cash flow going. Right. Because if you're asking someone to write big checks for new deals, um, you know, the last thing what they want to be doing is writing big checks just to keep their property running on a regular basis. So on top of all of that, we have, I'm going to say conservatively, it's 40 specialty tenants who are, you know, on license agreements who are paying rent on a monthly basis. and. During the holiday season, we have a few more than that, but um, that is a full-time job for someone. In fact, we were able to secure a person who had been in charge of that program at Navy Pier, and we had her join our Ford City team and work with us to help fill a lot of those vacant slots we had at the property and, and produce income while all, this, all the rest of this was going on. Wow. And then how about the physical changes? What's the, what is the plan for the physical construction? Well, I'm very happy to say that people will shortly see new flooring throughout the entirety of the shopping center. You know, this is an yeah. interesting building. 
Um, it, it was built to, you know, it's a concrete, full concrete structure with lower tunnel areas, basement areas that the public never sees. And, um, you know, it was built to build aircraft engines for bombers in World War II. So wow. the, um, you know, it, the, the property... It's an interesting transition, yeah. bombers to... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and it was a, um, the home of Tucker Cars when Tucker was built, and Ford Cars as well. Okay. Ford City. Right. And, um, <laughs> so the, the original flooring in this building, if you go into any of the old office buildings in the city, like in the printer's row where they had large... In, printing presses on the upper floors is are the old wood solid wood like slabs I want to say that is that floor over the top of the concrete then we laid another floor over the top of that when I was at equity 30 some years ago so you can't just take that all down so we had to find a surface which would work over the top of all of that without tearing anything else out. So people are going to find a more modern approach, which is a, a carpet and a wood look surface approach to the property. I think that'll make it very inviting. So all new flooring, all new lighting, um, state of the art LED lighting, new paint, new furniture, um, new kiosk for temp tenants. So just a, a total um, inviting approach to the interior of the mall. New entrances and um, new pylon signs at the street, which if you've ever been to Port City, you will see how much that's needed. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we, we built another outlet building out front and we have an opportunity for a few others and we've worked out, hopefully we're close to a couple deals for some of those outlets. So um, between all of the new tenants and you know all of the physical changes, it's gonna be like having a full new retail property. Well, I'm excited to see it. That's really cool. It's amazing what new lighting and new flooring alone can do for any room, any house, any uh, any shopping center. It just makes makes the customer feel like they're in a totally new place. Other than the CTA, Michelle, on another subject, was the city of Chicago enthusiastic, or have they been difficult to work with in this project? Have they? welcome this project or has it been a task to get through some of those issues as well? Not a task at all. Very supportive. Um, Mid-America has good relationships with the city. We always have. Um, you know, we, that was one of the things that we really worked on when we started Brickyard Mall years ago was developing a very strong relationship with the city and even with changes with people in positions. You know, we maintain a strong relationship there. Our brokerage group, urban brokerage group, has a good relationship with the city of Chicago. So we don't feel like that that has been any kind of an issue. Um, and iStar also has a very good relationship. They own and, and have developed a number of properties in the city of Chicago. So 
between all of us, um, you know, we feel like we get the support we need. Um, you know, it would have been nice to get some tip dollars, but that wasn't meant to be on this project. So, <laughs> and those are a little harder to get these days. So, well, that's great to hear. And then, what other developments are you working on? I know you're doing the Deerbrook Mall redevelopment. Do you want to talk about that for a little while? Yeah, Deerbrook, that has uh, been a project. We've managed that for over a decade, and I think that we have, you know, this redevelopment that we're doing now has been in the works in so many different formulas before we actually got to the point where we started um, demolition this year. But, you know, if you go back maybe eight years, almost 10 years now, when the old um, Montgomery Wards portion was redeveloped by Sears into the Great Indoors, that was probably, you know, that was the first trigger in the redevelopment, and we were involved on the management and leasing side at the time. And um, this is a very patient owner. This is pension fund money. And um, you don't see, no, you don't, right. And in a redevelopment scenario, you don't always see that. I give this owner and the asset manager, um, which is Reef Deutsche Bank, a lot of credit because they've been patient, they've been thoughtful about the things that have been done here, and um, while the time frame, 10 years, seems unusual, you know, there's a lot that's happened in that period of time. You know, Jewel, which has always been the anchor there, at, at the time that they were the anchor in 40,000 square feet, they weren't the dominant grocery store in Chicago. They shared that dominance with in a mark, our market with Dominic's. But when right. when Mariano's came in, then both of those grocery stores faltered a little bit. And then, you know, in the end, Jewel ended up being the, the sort of the chosen one, the one that the winner that right. oh, yeah. survived. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> And they've done such a great job in their program of redeveloping and redoing their stores. So this was a store, 40,000 square feet, very undersized, didn't do justice to the market, Deerfield. And it was almost like either leave or do something great. So it only took (laughs) two or three years to actually get the deal done with Jewel. It was a long period of time, but we feel like we're getting a great state-of-the-art, best of the best Jewel store there. The demolition's been done, Jewel's pouring their new foundations, um, and they're under construction um, there. And then we're finally, after all these years, gonna tear down the enclosed portion of the mall, which has not been active for years. It's been, you know, completely locked up every day for the last, you know, I want to call it two and a half years. And even before that, only TJ Maxx was open on the interior of the mall for about five years. So, you know, this, we feel like we were really um, moving this along. New retail will be, the the mall will be demolished. New retail will be built there, Um, a new downsized, office supply store will go there 
and a brand new Ulta. So we're excited about that. And, um, you know, we feel like we've really made some headway here. We're going to add some alt parcels. And I do have to give a ton of credit, not just to our leasing team, which has been phenomenal here, but also to, you know, patient, thoughtful, smart owner and um, asset manager. So. Yeah, it must take quite a bit of vision to see that far in the future that it's going to be better for you as an owner to, to put this kind of time and investment in. Um, one thing jumped out at me is that it seems to be a little bit of a trend. I saw this with Brickyard and now with Deerbrook is the shift away from the enclosed mall to the, uh, the more outdoor mall. Is that something that you're seeing often? I think it depends on the market, but that is definitely something that's happened. If you take a look at Yorktown, that's sort of a hybrid of that. I don't know if either of you have been out there in the last few years, but you know mm. that's a market where Oak Brook Mall is so dominant, right. and yet Yorktown Mall has existed for all that time. But Yorktown, over the last, call it eight years, has worked into this hybrid of power center, entertainment center, um, and still kept the, a portion of their mall, which was pretty good sized, active. What we're talking about when we talk about Deerbrook, and it really was the same with Brickyard. These were small format enclosed malls that didn't have really strong traditional mall anchors. So I think those are the properties that are more subject to being redeveloped into power centers. But yeah, you, you definitely are seeing that with that whole group of properties that are were these smaller format enclosed malls. Notwithstanding that it's what about single digits out today and we'd prefer to be inside, we're still looking at the trend toward outside malls. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking about is just um, in Chicago, it's not the best weather, obviously, all the time. And it's just interesting that we're all gravitating towards being outside and sort of a nicer looking facades to the structures, being able to walk between the stores rather than the what you were seeing in the 70s, 80s with the enclosed malls. And you also have that very nice development that you're working on in LaGrange, which is an outdoor area because it's downtown LaGrange. I recently just moved to Riverside and... Yeah discovered LaGrange when we thought when we moved to Riverside we're going to be going to Oak Oak Park Forest Park quite a bit but then we we stumbled into LaGrange and uh, it's a beautiful downtown area how, how long have you been working on that project that project I did with we did with Jerry Fogelson um, 14 plus years ago I'd say at least that. Yeah, 14, 15 years ago. Um, and that project, we have been fortunate enough to stay involved in, either on the leasing side or the management and leasing side, which we are doing again today with uh, the owner. That has had three owners in that period of time. I think that's right three or four owners in that period of time. And we've been fortunate to stay involved in it that entire time. But one thing is true about LaGrange is the entirety of LaGrange is very well done. Um, yes. Similar on a smaller scale to Naperville, I would say, where they've been thoughtful about, you know, 
a good mix of local retailers and national retailers that are good draw, great demographic for sure. Um, thoughtful about parking. That is because without true. the parking, you can't get people to come like yourself, who has to, you have you drive there. So, it, you know, if you can't find a place to park, then these downtown areas are not very successful. But Lagrange has done a wonderful job of that, and we we participated in the we did the ground up development in that property, and we love that property today. We feel it's very vibrant and we love being involved in the leasing and management of it. Well, it looks fantastic. And, and like you mentioned, that's the first thing my wife and I noticed when we pulled in to find parking is there's plenty of ample free parking and having moved from the city, we're used to paying for parking everywhere we go. We joke to each other, we say, who is paying for all of this park, all this free parking that we have? Because it's just, uh, it was a breath of fresh air to drive into a town. It's beautiful, the parking is free. Uh, everything looks great, so uh, it's certainly something we've enjoyed. Well, you mentioned Jerry Fogelson. I think this would be a good time to transition. He's he's not only gotten you involved in LaGrange, but he's gotten you involved in a lot of projects over the years. Um, can you tell us a little bit of, a little bit about the Marshall Bennett Institute and how he got invo- you involved in that project? Sure. So Jerry's been one of my best mentors. Um, in my career here, as I moved from Michigan to Chicago, and I did not have good business connections, but I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Jerry by a mutual friend of ours who was also a strong mentor of ours, um, Don Kane from Kane McKenna. So, um, but Jerry, you know, worked with us on multiple. Uh, leasing assignments, management assignments, some of them small suburban properties, but most notably the LaGrange development, which we all did together. Um, So I remember Jerry and I having dinner one night and he was telling me about he and Marshall Bennett had this idea to create, you know, a school of real estate and they were talking to Roosevelt and, you know, I was nodding my head, interested, all those things. And then... A few months later, he came to me and he said, would you be interested in being on, on the board? And, of course, I would never say no to Jerry if he was asking me for something. But I, I, I was concerned that how, I'm gonna, how am I going to fit this, you know, selfishly looking at how am I going to fit this into my time. Um, it, it's been just wonderful. I mean, we took it and largely because of Jerry and Marshall, but put together a framework on establishing um, a school of real estate at Roosevelt uh, and evolving it over all these years. It's been fabulous. I've met so many good people and made so many business connections. There's hardly anything that I get asked, you know, how can we find out about, you know, Taxes. How can we find out about who's controlling this parcel of land or whatever that I don't have some connection that I can find that out from? I mean, you know, it's just great how getting involved in boards um, and other groups can help you with that. But I think the number one thing that I've gotten out of it is the interaction with the students. You know, at Roosevelt, your typical master student is a little bit different because they're already out working, 
not necessarily in the real estate business, but they're out working and then they're they right. went back to get their real estate and finance degree. So, um, you know, we've made so many great connections with students there and then to walk into a deal and find a student across the table from you because they've been hired by someone and they're working on a deal that you're working on. That is, you know, a source of real pride to me. We actually have um, someone in our group that we hired and who didn't have a real estate background when we hired him and um, I encouraged him to go back to Roosevelt too and he's now in the in the Roosevelt real estate finance program and you can see on a regular basis how much he's maturing through that program and you know that's a benefit to us as well so well I think the program is fantastic I first went to the uh, annual gala in 2013 when they gave Michelle the lifetime achievement award and that was a wonderful evening and a great program and award but it also gave me an opportunity to see what Roosevelt was doing I think that this the program itself is somewhat rare and that I don't know of any other there's few other programs where a university is really giving students a catalyst into success with the real estate industry i think the real estate industry is sort of somewhat of a tough market to get into because you don't have the traditional education and the undergraduate format as you might with accounting or uh, with computer science or engineering so what roosevelt does is it takes uh, a lot of students that are already working as michelle mentioned and then gives them the this program where they also have exposure to people in the industry so that they have some contacts when they get out of the program and they learn some practical experience. It seems to be, I've gone to the gala every year since and it seems like a really fantastic program. Ed, I, you're 100% right when you say that it's real estate is not that easy to get into. You know, people get into it accidentally unless their family's been in it. More often than not, when you're interviewing someone and you say, how did you get interested in this business? Why real estate? They'll say, my father, my uncle, you know, something right. like that. That's what you typically hear. So um, because Roosevelt has a strong mentorship program, that sort of takes the place of that. And I think that, you know, Phil, I'd love to see you become a mentor in the program. Oh, geez. What have, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> yeah. So because honestly, you know, that is how we help these people who have no connection to the business get into the business. And, you know, we're just all going to benefit from that, from getting, you know, more diversity in the business, that type of thing. So. Well, I would love to become a mentor. So Great. thank you for suggesting it. Yeah. The sign-up sheet will be coming your way shortly. <laughs> I'll be, I will be looking for it. <laughs> well, Michelle, I just really want to thank you for your time. Um, I hope all of our listeners have enjoyed being able to listen to Michelle and her experience with development. And uh, if you have any questions for Michelle or for the show, feel free to contact Solution Center at satcltd.com. And we have a website that should be up and running shortly. And Michelle's contact information is also available, of course, through her company, MidAmerica Asset Management. And thank you, Michelle. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.
Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, or other professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your own financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center or Shane Gannis Tepper Campbell or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the individual capacities of the host and guests. All opinions on this podcast are rendered based on specific facts and under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to for use in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.